as we get into today's sermon, I wanted to share a little bit of a personal story. I, I, this week, I started thinking back to my first sermon that I can ever remember preaching. Uh, my parents told me that when I was like a little kid and we would get together for family reunions, that I would stand up on the picnic tables and preach and tell everybody that they need to read the Bible and not smoke. Okay, so that's kind of what, that's what my parents told me. I don't remember that, so I deny it. But uh, when I was like 15 years old, I went to a youth retreat with the youth group from my church. We went to this college campus in Michigan. There was a bunch of other churches there with all their youth groups. And you could sign up for various activities, you know, all these sports activities and indoor, outdoor stuff, music activities, arts, you know, kind of related stuff. But one of the things that you could sign up for, of all things, was a preaching competition. Isn't that weird? A preaching competition, okay? So I signed up for the preaching competition. And I don't remember much about that sermon other than I do remember being pretty nervous about it. But the other thing that I remember is that I wore a suit. And the reason why I remember that I wore a suit was because I got downgraded on my performance evaluation because of my suit. I started thinking back on that and I think it's because the suit that I wore was teal and black. And it was made out of like rayon, right? It was the 1990s. Vanilla ice was cool. So just imagine vanilla ice as a preacher. That's basically what you got, right? Some of you guys are like, who's vanilla ice? Just YouTube it. Your mind will be blown, okay? Um, I, <laughs> I remember like not only did I not win that preaching competition, uh, but I vowed afterwards based off of the critique that I would never preach again, right? Yeah, here we are today. So that was my first sermon. I'm sharing that with you because... What we're going to read today in Acts chapter 13 is actually the first sermon from the Apostle Paul, uh, which is really interesting, the, the, at least the first one that's recorded in Scripture. So as we get into Acts today, this is our 29th study through the book of Acts. We've covered a lot of ground, uh, especially if you are new with us or if you are a returning college student who hasn't been here for the summer. Let me just briefly summarize uh, from a very high level what we've covered in the book of Acts. In chapter 1 of the book of Acts, Jesus commissioned his disciples to go out and take the gospel to the ends of the earth. In chapter 2, he filled them with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost to empower them to take his message out. Chapters 2 through 7, approximately, are all about their witness in and around Jerusalem. Uh, chapters 8 and 9, some of 10, are about their witness in Judea and Samaria and those regions. And then starting in chapter 10, really through all the way through verse uh, chapter 13, is about the gospel going out to the ends of the earth, to the rest of the Gentile world. And that's really what the rest of the book of, the, of Acts is really going to be about. So that's a very high-level summary of where we've been so far. But very specifically, we left off last Sunday um, looking at chapter 13, verses 1 through, uh, verses uh, 4 through 12. And where, I want us to remember exactly where we left off. So if you remember, the Apostle Paul and his friend Barnabas were sent out from the church in Antioch of Syria as the first missionaries ever commissioned out uh, by the church. They had uh, sailed from the eastern side of the Mediterranean Sea over to the big island called Cyprus. Uh, they preached there across the whole island. And when they were there, they 
encountered a sorcerer named Elimus. Um, God miraculously blinded Elimus for a season. And uh, the governor that Elimus was trying to hinder from hearing the gospel, that governor named Sergius Paulus believed. And so we said that God is going to go to great lengths to get his saving power and his saving grace and his gospel message to those whom he has called to save. So that's where we left off. And now today we're going to pick up in chapter 13, verse 13. We're going to work our way down all the way through verse 52. So that's almost 40 verses. So we've got to hustle today. So I'll talk fast. You, you listen fast. Okay, here we go. Um, I'm going to make several teaching points along the way. We got two application questions for you to consider at the end. And really what I hope you do, I hope you leave here with one simple truth in mind. I, this is not profound. This is not new, but this is the point of the text. And here's what I, I hope that you see from this text today. It's this, it's that belief in Jesus Christ is the point of scripture, right? Bringing people to belief in Jesus Christ is the point of scripture. Now let's look at verse 13 and following and we'll see how the apostle Paul shows this in his first sermon. So verse 13 says, now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia and John left them and returned to Jerusalem, but they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. Now uh, remember kind of the graphical picture of where we are. I think we have a little map we can put on the screen, but Paphos is in the southwestern corner of Cyprus. You can see it on the map there. That's where Elimus was blinded and Sergius Paulus was saved. Well, now Paul and his missionary friends are basically leaving Paphos. They're sailing across uh, the kind of the northern part of the Mediterranean Sea up to a place called Perga in Pamphylia. You can see it there on the south side of Asia Minor, uh, modern day Turkey. And once they got to Perga, something happened. It says in our text that John Mark, that he left them and returned to his home in Jerusalem. And that's really the only line that we get about that story here in Acts 13. But in the coming chapters, this is going, the fact that John Mark left is going to become an important point in the story of Acts. So once they got to Perga, John Mark leaves. From there, Paul and Barnabas go north from Perga up to um, what is called Antioch in Pisidia. And as we talked about a couple weeks ago, we have to remember that when we read the book of Acts, there are two Antiochs that are talked about. Antioch number one is Antioch in Syria on the eastern side of the Mediterranean Sea, about 300 miles north of Jerusalem. Antioch number two is the one we're looking at on our map today, Antioch of Pisidia, again, about 300 miles north of Cyprus. So Paul and Barnabas pressed on from Perga and they went into Pisidian Antioch. So that's where these events are taking place. And it says this in verse 14. Verse 14 says, And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. All right? They went into the synagogue and sat down. Now a synagogue, many of us know what that is, or at least we have ideas. Maybe some of you don't. A synagogue was like a central gathering place within a Jewish community. It was used throughout the week as a school or as a courtroom or as just kind of a general community gathering space. And on the Sabbath day, um, people used it to come and gather for worship and for prayer and for teaching. And it says that Paul and Barnabas went there on a particular Sabbath day, which um, if you think about it, is, it's very different than what we would expect today. Like we wouldn't expect many Christians to go into a Jewish synagogue uh, and kind of worship in this way. But Paul and Barnabas do. And here's why. 
it's because they had come to see Jesus as the fulfillment of their Jewish faith, not in opposition to their uh, Jewish faith. They knew, Paul and Barnabas, they knew the Old Testament scriptures. They were Jewish. They were familiar with the prophets. They were waiting for the Messiah, just like many other Jews. And they had come to see how Jesus fulfilled their Jewish beliefs and wasn't opposed to them. So Paul and Barnabas go into the synagogue and they can worship on the Sabbath day. But as we'll see in the next couple of verses, they're not just there to worship. They're also there to witness. All right, so look at verse 15. Verse 15 says, and, the reading from the, uh, and after the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. Okay, so you've got to understand how a synagogue service worked. Usually the way it would work is a, uh, a leader of some sort, a rabbi or somebody else would come and they would um, bring the people together. They would lead them through a prayer called the Shema. They would open uh, the scriptures. They would have a time of reading and prayer. Uh, maybe a, a short message would be given, but sometimes if there was a um, visiting rabbi that came into the community, they would give that rabbi an opportunity to speak and to talk to the community that was there. So as you guys know, um, Paul uh, was also known as Saul in the Jewish community. He was trained like a rabbi, and before he had converted to Christianity, he was uh, very well trained uh, as a rabbi. So the word had come to these folks that Saul of Tarsus was here. He's a trained rabbi. They give him an invitation to share. And so it says in verse 16 that Paul stood up and motioning with his hand, he said, men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. So again, envision this, this setting. Paul is addressing two types of people. First, he talks to the men of Israel, which means he's obviously addressing ethnic Jews who have gathered in the synagogue. But also, he says, and those of you who fear God, which as you read the New Testament in the book of Acts, you'll read that it talks about these people called God-fearers. God-fearers were not full-on Jewish uh, converts to Judaism. Um, they were Gentiles who honored and revered and respected Jehovah, the, the God of the Jews, but they didn't fully adhere to Jewish laws like circumcision and other things. They cared for the Jews. They respected the Jews. They often gave alms and uh, money to the poor. Um, and so the Jews allowed these God-fearing Gentiles to worship with them in the synagogues on the Sabbath. And so Paul calls both the Jews and the God-fearers to listen to what he has to say. And here's what he says, starting in verse 17, right? This is Paul's first recorded sermon. And as we're listening to this, just remember, like Paul is speaking kind of off the cuff here. This is, he didn't have a iPad with notes and all this kind of stuff that we have. He's got so much scripture just memorized within him that it just comes out as he speaks. So, so listen to what he says. Paul says, the God of this people Israel chose our fathers. So God chose people like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. That's what the book of Genesis is all about. And Paul starts out by saying that God chose them. And we're going to come to that, back to that in a minute. And it says that he made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt, and with uplifted arm, he led them out of it, right? In other words, God's strong arm, his, his strong arm, he led them out of Egypt with great power. If you remember all these stories of God delivering Israel from Egypt in the book of Exodus, and it says for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. I, uh, I think that's a pretty like, descriptive term, you know, God just puts up with his people. 
in their complaining, in their rebelling, in their grumbling, in their ungratefulness, God just puts up with them. And I don't know about you, but I'm so grateful that God has put up with me in my wandering years. I'm so grateful that he has stuck with me in my years of complaining and grumbling against him. He's such a long-suffering and patient God. And he's displayed in Exodus and proclaimed here by Paul to be long-suffering and patient with uh, rebellious Israel. All the while, he has a plan to take them into the promised land. Verse 19 says that after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. So you read all about this in the book of Joshua in your Old Testament. And all this, Paul says in verse 20, took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. And again, this is all stuff that you can read in the Old Testament book of Judges all the way through 1 Samuel. And these events occurred, if you're thinking about it in a timeline fashion, you're thinking about 1500 to about 1000 BC. That's about, you know, from, from Israel's time in Egypt until about the time that Samuel was a prophet. There were, you know, 400 years where they were slaves in Egypt, about 40 years where they were wandering in the desert, and then about 10 years of battles and, and conquests going into the land of Canaan. And so that was about 450 years. And during that period, uh, God had Israel led by judges. But then in verse 21, we see that the leadership style changes. Verse 21 says, then they asked for a king and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And when he had removed him, right, when God had removed Saul, he raised up David to be their king of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do all my will, right? So we see that God gave Israel their first king, Saul. God removed Saul as king. God raised up David and, and David had this heart after the Lord. All of this can be read in the books of first and second Samuel in your Old, in your Old Testament. So Paul's talking about David and, and he says about David, he says, of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he has promised. So what Paul's doing here is he's referencing 1 Samuel chapter 7 where God made a promise to David. And he says, you know, from, you know, I'm going to give you an everlasting kingdom. So that's the, the promise that God gave to David. Well, what did that mean? Because David died, right? David was buried with his fathers. Therefore, the everlasting kingdom was going to have to be given in some way to David, somehow, uh, but it, it required an everlasting king. Well, who was that going to be? Obviously, that's going to become Jesus. And so 41 generations from the time of David until Jesus, 41 generations later, Jesus of Nazareth was born from David's offspring, and Jesus would be the king whose kingdom is forever. So what I want you to notice right here is that in these few short verses, Paul has summarized the entire Old Testament. He went from Genesis to Jesus in just a few verses. Now, why did he do this? It's because he wants to show the Jews and he wants to show the God-fearers this. He wants to show them that God has been at work to fulfill his promise to Abraham and God has fulfilled that promise to Abraham through who? Through Jesus. He was the Messiah who would bring salvation he was the one who would raise up, the, the, who would be the, the one who would give the blessing to all the nations. 
Right? This is the, the Jesus, the Messiah who God had promised. Now, to emphasize the same point, the Apostle Paul now starts to make reference to the ministry of John the Baptist. He says this in verse 24. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, what do you suppose that I am? I am not he, right? I'm not the Messiah. No, but behold, after me, one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. So John the Baptist has this strong ministry prior to Jesus coming. Remember the Old Testament prophets said someone's going to come and they're going to prepare the way, right? That's what John the Baptist was doing. He was calling the Jews to repent, return to God for the Messiah was about to come. He's preparing the way for the Lord and he didn't want anybody to be confused. John the Baptist didn't want people thinking that he was the Messiah. So before he finished his course, before he died, he made it clear that he wasn't the Messiah. He says, the one who's coming after me, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. I'm not even... I don't, I'm not even worthy to be the lowest of servants to him. So John the Baptist was all about glorifying Jesus as the Messiah, the promised one that God would bring, um, you know, to deliver salvation. And so Paul continues in verse 26, and he says, Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation for those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him or understand the utterances of the prophet, which are prophets which are read every Sabbath, they fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found, no, uh, found in him no guilt worthy of death, they still asked Pilate to have him executed. Okay, Paul is referencing the prophets here. And he's starting to, he's starting to say to them, you know, you Jews and all your rulers and leaders in Jerusalem... You've had the prophets of old. You should have understood the prophecies. You should have seen how Jesus was your Messiah, but you didn't. And instead, not only did you miss your Messiah, but you had him killed. You had him put to death by, by Pilate. You know, you, you know the story of Jesus. Pilate stood before the people and said, I find no fault in this man, Jesus. He's not worthy of death. And still, what did the Jewish people and leaders cry out? They cried out, crucify him crucify him. And so the Jews called for the killing of the Messiah that their own prophets foretold and that their own scriptures predicted. And so Paul is preaching this message to them and he goes on and he says to these Jews and God-fearers in verse 29, here's what Paul says. He says, and when they, talking about the Jews who had Jesus killed, when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and they laid him in a tomb, but God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to his people. And we, you know, Paul's saying, I'm one of those witnesses. And we bring you the good news that what God has promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children. How? By raising Jesus. As it is also written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. So Paul's declaring the gospel He's starting to reference the prophets and the Old Testament scriptures that prophesied the, the, the Christ, the Messiah. He quotes Psalm chapter 2, verse 7 here. And if you go back and read Psalm chapter 2, you'll see that there's so much, much wording there that is prophetic about the coming Messiah. And Paul is saying, this is Jesus. He's the one who, who God uh, kept his promise and sent as a savior. So then in verse 34 and following, here's what Paul does. He quotes a series of Old Testament passages to keep proving this point. And keep in mind, like, 
as he's quoting all the scripture and referencing, you know, the crowds would have been very familiar with this. These were Jews who went to synagogue. They would have been raised knowing these scriptures and they would have been very familiar with these passages. So Paul says this, and as for the fact that God raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, quote, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Guys, that's a quote from Isaiah chapter 55, which is all about the Messiah fulfilling God's promises to David back in the books of 1 Samuel. So verse 35, Paul continues and he says, therefore, he also says in another Psalm, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. So that's from Psalm chapter 16, verse 10, where in that passage, the scriptures are predicting uh, that, the, that the Messiah would not see corruption. He wouldn't, uh, he wouldn't endure in the grave, you know? Um, it's predicting his resurrection. Verse 36, for David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, he fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Again, Paul is proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus as the fulfillment of prophecy. And he's saying, don't read Psalm 16 and think that Psalm 16 is only, you know, all about David. Because David died and he buried, but God raised Jesus from death. Jesus didn't see corruption. Um, and so Paul is using the Old Testament to show how Jesus is the Messiah. So now, as Paul has preached his first sermon, he's referencing the the Old Testament scripture, he's appealing to the Jews and God-fearers, he starts to now bring it home with application for his listeners. And here's what he says to make it personal for those who are listening. He says in verse 38, let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. All right, so Paul is saying, Look, here's the good news. Through Jesus, you can have two things, forgiveness and freedom, but it comes through Jesus. Now to us as Christians who live 2,000 years later, we get it. But to the Jews who were hearing this for the first time, this would have totally blown them away because in their mind, they believed that their freedom and their forgiveness came through what? Through participating and obeying and adhering to the Jewish law. And they would have thought to themselves, man, if we keep the law, we're good with God. We're justified in God's sight if we keep the law. So they tried hard to keep the law. But the truth is that when they were doing that, they were missing the whole point of the law. The whole point of the law, according to God, was never to free you from your sin. Rather, the point of the law, as Paul will later teach in the book of Romans and Galatians, the point of the law was to reveal that you're a slave to your sin. No matter how hard you try to obey God's commands, all of us understand this, none of us can do it perfectly. So don't read the Bible and think to yourself, oh, there's something wrong with the law. The law is bad. Don't read, don't read the law of God and the scriptures about the law and think that way. It's not, it's not the law's fault that we can't perfectly obey it. You with me? It's not the law's fault that we can't obey it. It's our fault. There's nothing wrong with the law. There's something wrong with us. If you go to the doctor and you get a test and the test shows that you're sick, you need some treatment, the test hasn't done something wrong to you. It did something right. It showed you that you need a doctor. It showed you like, you know, it showed you exactly what it's supposed to show you. It did what it's supposed to do. And it's the same way with the Old Testament law. There's nothing wrong with it, but it shows you what's wrong with you. 
It shows you that you need a doctor, which is why Jesus would come on the scene later in his ministry. And in Luke 5.31, Jesus would say this, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Guys, that's why Jesus came. He came to call sinners to repentance and then grant them the forgiveness of their sin. He wanted to give them forgiveness and freedom. And Paul wanted the Jews in Antioch to understand that. And in his desire to understand that, he, he, he's appealing to them to listen to his message. And so he says in verse 40 of our text, he says, Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish. For I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. So here Paul is quoting, again, one of the Old Testament prophets, Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 5. And this is a passage where, uh, of warning. And Paul is saying, don't do to me what some of the Israelites of old did to Habakkuk. They ignored his message from God. They, they ignored it. And because of that, they would perish. Paul's saying, don't do this. So let's see what happened. What's the response? Look at verse 42. And as they went out, remember these are people gathered in the synagogue. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. So here you have this, another mighty work of God, as we've seen throughout the book of Acts, preach in the power of the Holy Spirit. People respond. They're starting to heed the warning of the book of Habakkuk. And many people are taking a serious interest in the gospel message of Christ. So here's what happened. Look at verse 44. Verse 44 says, the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. So the next Sunday, everybody shows up to church. You know, the main preacher goes out of town, the guest preacher shows up, boom, everybody comes, right? That's, I joke with the staff sometimes, like every time I go out of town and I, somebody, Scott Dixon preaches or something, it's like we have record attendance that Sunday. So this is what always happens. There's no jealousy in my heart whatsoever, just so you know. Um, but the Jews get mad at Paul. They're jealous of his influence and, and the way the people are responding and they start to criticize and oppose his teaching. So here's Paul's response, verse 46. It says, and Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first to you. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. So Paul is saying, you should be able to believe our message. Guys, you're the Jews. You have had all the prophets in the, the Old Testament words for a long time. Now, instead of believing though, you're thrusting our message aside and you're judging, you're, bring, you're judging yourself. In other words, you're bringing judgment on yourself. And how did they do that? They are doing it by disbelieving. So the Jewish crowds disbelieved. Paul and Barnabas choose to go to the Gentiles. For so the Lord, verse 47, for so the Lord has commanded us saying, I have made you a light to the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. We've talked about this passage before, but Paul, again, is quoting the book of Isaiah, Old Testament passage, chapter 49, verse 6, 
where it's talking about the Messiah, and it says in that passage, it's too light of a thing for the Messiah to bring together the, the, the tribes of Israel. Uh, it's too light. It's too little. It's too small of a thing. It's too limited. And so uh, the prophets of old said that the Messiah would be a light to the Gentiles. So Paul intends to be a part of being that light, to, to shine the light of Jesus, and he wants to get the light of Jesus out to the Gentiles. Again, it's not just ethnic Jews who are in the synagogue audience here. It's also the Gentile God-fearers too. So with that setting in mind, let's see what happens in verse 48. It says in verse 48, and when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. So these Gentiles, man, they were excited that they too could be involved in God's salvation plan. They responded opposite of many of the Jews. Many of them turned and believed. And it says that as many of these Gentiles as were appointed to salvation, as many as were appointed, believed. Guys, what have we been saying over the past few weeks? Nothing can stop the purposes of God. Right? Nothing can stop. When God purposes to save someone, he's going to save them. Just like we saw last week with Sergius Paulus, God intended to get the gospel to that man. He got it there. That man believed. Just as God chose Abraham from among all the, the individual people on the earth during his day, God has continued to choose those who would be called for his purposes. Just as God chose Israel to be his people from among all the other nations that existed during that time, God has continued to choose people to be part of his church, right? So those who were appointed believed. And verse 49 says this, and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews, remember, they're jealous. They incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they, Paul and Barnabas, they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So this is what happens with Paul and Barnabas, right? They preach, many believe, the Jews get jealous, start to persecute them, and Paul and Barnabas, they have joy, right? They're excited about this. They, they shake the dust off their feet and they move on to Iconium, right? Shaking the dust off their feet, this would have, this would have been a very significant thing to see in your day because if you grew up in the first century as a Jew, you would know what this shaking off of the dust from your feet meant, Whenever Jews went out to a place where there were a large amount of non-Jews or Gentiles, they would consider themselves, the Jews would say, oh, now I've become unclean because I've been around so many of these people who are not God's people. Uh, and so they would leave a community of non-Jews and as a symbol of disgust and um, kind of looking down on them, they would shake the dust off their feet publicly. Well, now it's Paul and Barnabas as Jewish converts to Christianity, they are shaking their feet. Not at the Gentiles, but at the Jews. And the meaning is clear. Paul and Barnabas are saying, you Jews have become the unclean ones. You are unacceptable to God. Why? Because of your unbelief. And Paul and Barnabas were filled with great joy and with the Holy Spirit, and they left for Iconium, which is where we'll pick up next week in our text. But today, I want to end, wrap up my time with two straightforward questions for you today. We've talked today about how the simple point of this message, Paul's preaching, is that we would see that belief in Jesus is the point of all scripture. So the question for you today is this. Do you understand that belief in Jesus is the point of all scripture? 
Do you, do you, have you ever really come to grasp that? That the whole point of the Bible, all of Scripture, is, is meant to lead you to Jesus. I know that so many of you know that. But perhaps there are some here today who, who hadn't realized it before. Some of you may have been taught all sorts of things about the Bible. That maybe you've been taught, oh, the Old Testament teaches one thing, the New Testament teaches another. No, it's one unified message bringing people to Jesus. As we've been taught in Paul's text today, right, he intended to show the Jews and the God-fearers that from Genesis to Exodus, from Joshua to Judges, from the books of Samuel and the Psalms of David, from the Old Testament prophets to the ministry of John the Baptist, belief in Jesus is the point of Scripture. And that's the point. And so many people are trained or, or used to reading the Bible with different motives and different purposes. Some people are trained to read the Bible simply like a textbook for information. Oh, I just want to learn information, so I read the Bible. Some people read it as... Uh, kind of a, a check, a morality checkbox. Okay, I've read my Bible today and you know, God will be pleased with me now because I, I did my duty. Some people read it mainly to find ammunition for their doctrinal wars and they're ready to debate. Some people read the Bible to simply cherry pick verses out to support their personal opinions, their preferences, their agendas, whatever it is. But you can read the Bible in all those ways and still miss the main point. The main point of the Bible is to lead you to who? Anybody still with me? Lead you to who? Jesus. That's why Jesus would say to the Pharisees in John chapter 5, verse 39, Jesus says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Me. Belief in Jesus is the point of all scripture. Have you come to understand that? That's the first question. The second question is this. Have you believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ as taught in the scripture? Have you believed in the gospel of Christ as taught in the scripture? See, Paul showed these crowds in the synagogue that you can be extremely familiar with scripture and still completely miss its point. Isn't that what happened to these crowds that Paul is addressing? I mean, they went to Sabbath, they went to synagogue every Sabbath. They were taught the scriptures from a young age in their Jewish schools. They were trying hard to live out the law of Moses, yet they totally missed Jesus the Messiah. How familiar, guys. How familiar in our American Western church world. So often we can have a head full of Bible and a heart that's empty on Jesus. In other words, you can be religiously moral and be totally lost. This is why we need the gospel. It's why we need the gospel message of Jesus Christ. It's why we need the good news that God sent Jesus to fulfill the law, to fulfill the prophecies, to live without sin, yet be killed like a sinner, to be buried in the tomb, and then to be raised to life after three days. That's the gospel message. And some of you may hear that message, and you might even be thinking to yourself right now, so what? Like, so what? There, there's a man that was sent from God. Cool. God raised him from the dead. Great. I mean, that's news. It would probably make headlines. But why is it good news for me? Like, that, that's, that's a legitimate question, and it's the most important question that you can ask. And here's the reason why it's good news for you. It's because only through Jesus Christ, crucified, buried, and risen, only through Jesus Christ can you find forgiveness from sin and freedom from it. 
See, apart from Jesus, we are slaves to our sin, meaning as hard as we might try, we cannot live up to God's standards. We can never be as good as we know we should be. And when we realize that, we realize we're sinners. And when we realize we are sinners, we realize we deserve punishment from a holy and righteous God for our sin. And when we start to realize that we deserve punishment and condemnation, then the big question becomes, how do I get out from under that? Because I don't want it. And the scripture gives us the answer. And the answer is, you get out from under it only through Jesus. Not through morality, not through your attempts to be obedient, not through being a good person. You get out from under the punishment and the wrath of God only through belief in Jesus Christ. In his death, he took the penalty for your sin and in his resurrection, he showed that he had power over your sin. So if you want forgiveness, it's found in Jesus. And if you want freedom, it's found in Jesus. That was the message of Paul's first sermon in Antioch. That's my message that I proclaim to you today. From start to finish, belief in Jesus is the point of all scripture. So believe in the scripture and believe in Jesus Christ. And in him, you will have forgiveness and freedom. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today uh, to be able to preach and teach your word uh, to the people that you've brought here. And Lord, um, I pray that if there's anybody listening to this message, whether in person here today or online or however someone's hearing this message, I pray that if they have never believed the gospel, that today you would let them trust in Christ who died and rose again to remove the penalty and the power of their sin. I pray, Lord, today they would believe and be saved. And Lord, I pray for those of us who are saved, especially so many of us who are so involved with Christian education and various types of ministry, religious activity. Lord, I pray that you would help us to not miss the point of the Bible and that we would not miss Jesus. Oh Lord, would you use our study of the scripture to open our heart to the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's in his name I pray, amen.